Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Heidi Alexander. I'm also a law practice advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offerings, visit our website at masslomap.org. Here on the Legal Toolkit, my co-host Jared Correa and I provide you with a new tool each month to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. Now, before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsor. Amicus Attorney's world-leading practice management solution allows you to do more, bill more, and go home early. It serves as the hub to your practice, and Amicus customers report that they save over eight hours and bill an extra five hours every week. Built by lawyers for lawyers, Amicus has two award-winning solutions, Amicus Premium with a unique client portal and the exciting Amicus Cloud with seamless email integration. To learn more, visit amicusattorney.com. We want to thank our sponsor, Scorpion, which delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms, just like yours, attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.co. Today, we'll be chatting about what you need to know when starting up a law firm, and my guest would be the one to know. Having spent a number of years defending homeowners from foreclosure for the Kentucky Legal Aid Society, my guest, Ben Carter, now operates his own solo practice out of Louisville, Kentucky, and co-hosts the Let's Start a Law Firm podcast. In 13 episodes, Let's Start a Law Firm has tackled topics ranging from why an attorney might want to start their own law firm, loan forgiveness, office space, office supplies, banking, trust accounting, entity selection, insurance, technology, staffing, legal research and writing, as well as cubic wombat poop. Okay, if you're interested in that last one, you'll just have to listen to the podcast. Today, I'm going to pick his brain to find out what he's learned about starting a law firm through his own experience and podcasting about it. He'll be joining us today from his own office. Thanks for being my guest today, Ben. My pleasure, Heidi. Thanks for the invite. All right. So let's start off by tackling the questions of whether and why to start off a law practice today. With all the competition out there now among not only attorneys, but also non-lawyer professionals, so take, for example, Washington State's limited lawyer licensing program, you know, as well as technology doing much of what was previously an attorney's job, talk to me about what goes into making a decision to start your own law firm. For me, it was sort of a two-stage process, Heidi. First of all, I was working at the Legal Aid Society helping homeowners facing foreclosure. And in talking with those folks at our twice-a-week legal clinics, sitting across the table from them, they would say, look, you know, I'm just here for a little bit of advice, but I already have an attorney. And I would say, okay, tell me more about that. And they would tell me that they had sent to a quote-unquote attorney out in Arizona or Nevada, California, amoral places like that, and basically signing up for quote-unquote legal help from these 
fraudsters and they would pay $3,000 for legal help. And it occurred to me at that time that there was probably a market for uh, somebody providing credible legal help to local people here in Kentucky. And so I started to look at that a little bit more and, and explore whether or not that was a viable business model. When I decided to leave legal aid, I went to go work for some plaintiff's attorneys on a uh, legal malpractice case. And after wrapping that up, I was planning on starting my own firm. They asked me to stay on for a couple more years. And then uh, when that gig ended, that's when I launched Ben Carter Law. All right. Well, that sounds interesting. You had a sort of unique route into the practice. And so, you know, for you, you know, it sounds like you had a time frame. It was kind of laid out for you. But, you know, in thinking about starting off a firm, you know, let's say, you know, you have the the leeway to uh, to plan to start off a firm. What's a suggested time frame? You know, if you're going to do it the right way and you've got some time to plan it out, can you do it in a matter of weeks or months or should you take a year to spend the time planning and maybe writing a business plan? What do you think about that? I wouldn't suggest a business plan necessarily. I think what I would say is you should probably practice law always with the mindset that one day you may want to go out on your own, whether or not you're at a big law firm right now, whether you're at a public institution or a, you know governmental agency. I think the more you can have that entrepreneurial spirit from the outset, even when you're at law school, the better, because then you're going to make connections with people, learn as much as you can about how their business operates, what kinds of practices are available to people. And so, so yeah, give yourself as long a runway as possible. If you're an associate at a big law firm, you're probably not planning on leaving anytime soon. I would give yourself a year, you know, when you start thinking about that to explore and, and start thinking about pricing and what kinds of cases you would want to have and what kinds of clients you would want to work for, the longer the better. My answer to that, Heidi, is sort of nuanced in the sense that when I left Legal Aid, I had an idea of the kind of law firm that I wanted to start. But when I got fired from the plaintiff's firm, I didn't have a whole lot of time to start up my firm. So yes, the answer is you can start a law firm in a matter of a couple of weeks. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, especially you know, in terms of those who are at a large firm right now, I mean, you know, what I see is, especially, you know, this generation, you know, no one sticks around (laughs) anywhere for very long, you know, so even if you start off at a firm one day, you're probably going to end up as a solo or at a small firm at some point. Well, there's that, but there's also just the idea that if your goal is to make partner at a big law firm, probably the best way to make partner is to treat your career as as a startup and have that entrepreneurial spirit and start generating cases and start making it rain for your firm. And that's the way you make partner. So the same skills, the same activities that would lead to success at a governmental agency or a big law firm are the same ones that you're going to need to develop to have a successful solo practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And just, you know, also current, obviously, on topics like technology and, you know, what's new in the field, what's trending, you know, fixed fees, maybe, or, you know, flat fees, that sort of thing. You know, remaining current and then having that entrepreneurial mindset, that's a really good point. So that 
the question of, you know, what do you need to actually start off your law firm? You know, you get to that point where, you know, maybe you're thrown into it like you were, or maybe you spend the time planning it out. You need to figure out what you need to do in order to start up your practice. So what do you pick out as the top three essential items that you need to have in place before you start out? I have sort of the smart aleck response and then the, the real response. I mean, obviously you need a bank account and a business name and things like that. But the three things that I would say people should really think about is one is a malpractice policy. I guess that's fairly obvious, but you're really doing your clients a disservice if you don't get that protection for them at the beginning. Because as a startup, you're probably going to be doing things for the first time. And I just think you may be tempted to take cases outside of your quote unquote wheelhouse. And and when lawyers do that, they put their clients at risk a little bit. And so you have to have a malpractice policy. The second thing I would say is connections and a reputation. Let's put those in one category. When I started my firm, I had worked at Legal Aid for a couple of years. And then I had a contract with a nonprofit here in Kentucky. Literally, my job was to go around the state and educate private attorneys on how to defend homeowners from foreclosure. And I was very lucky in that I got to present at the KBA's Kentucky Bar Association's annual sort of traveling CLE program all across the state. And so I still received phone calls from attorneys who saw me two or three years ago presenting at those saying, hey, my minister is facing foreclosure. Somebody in my church is facing foreclosure. Can I send them to you? Or I'm helping my mom work out a problem with her. Uh, My dad passed away and now she's facing foreclosure. So I I still get those phone calls. and, And I would say that having those kinds of connections and being known in a particular field is just super important. And I joke pretty commonly that I'm lucky in the sense that the kind of work that I do in foreclosure defense is a huge section of the legal market here in Kentucky. There was a time, Heidi, during the foreclosure crisis that 40 to 50% of all civil actions filed in the Commonwealth were foreclosures. And there just weren't, besides legal aid attorneys, there were not private practitioners who knew how to help people with loan modifications, who knew how to raise counterclaims to the foreclosure effectively. And so, again, I saw that opportunity to to sort of help people and make a little bit of money. It turned out to be a really good business model. Uh, Not that we're making a ton of money at Ben Carter Law, but just that there was an unmet need in the market as a result of the foreclosure crisis. And People didn't know what to do. And so I I doubt that if I was just a standard civil litigator or I represented businesses, I would have nearly as good a practice as I do now. You have a third or or two? uh, My third is a computer. And I say that because, (laughs) because seriously, when you're thinking about what it takes to start up a law practice, I talked to some law students the other day. The good news for young people and anybody thinking about starting a law practice is it's never been easier to start a law practice in Mm -hmm. terms of the actual startup costs. It used to be that you might need a secretary to take dictation and a receptionist and all of that. And consumers of legal services now don't expect that kind of infrastructure from their attorneys. They're happy to deal directly with the attorney. They like it when their attorney picks up the phone. And so 
you know, when we explain to people that, you know, not having a paralegal or not having support staff helps us keep their costs low, they appreciate that. And so with a computer, with a black and white printer, with a malpractice policy and, and access to some legal research tools, you can have a going concern for very little money. Mm-hmm. Of course, the bad news for people graduating from law school is they've never had higher debt loads. And so, you know, whether or not they can afford to start up their own practice is a separate question. Yeah, so I like that advice on, you know, making those connections up front and establishing a reputation in your field. I mean, it does sound like you in particular did some of that market research that, you know, that I would probably say would go into a business plan. I know you said, you know, maybe you don't need a business plan, but, you know, some sort of roadmap or some sort of guide I think is helpful. And so clearly you found your niche and you found that there was, you know, an area in the market that needed legal services. And I so I think that's really important. And I think people need to see that before they make that jump as opposed to just, you know, becoming another attorney that, you know, practices in a certain area when there's so much competition right now. We've gotten away with a lot of stuff in our practice and I actually have an associate now, but our business has grown sort of despite not doing a lot of the things that we should have done. I mean, we don't advertise, we don't uh, have a business plan. I did do a lean canvas for sort of my own benefit a few months ago. And I found that exercise to be useful. It's sort of a how to reduce your risk inventory. Mm-hmm. And I can put a link to sort of my Lean Canvas article in the show notes so that people can access that. But again, because there is no competition in the area that we're operating in, we have gotten away with not having that business plan, not doing everything exactly right as business people, right? Right the demand is just very high and there aren't very many attorneys who can do what we do. And so, so we've been lucky. And I say all the time, I don't understand how people who aren't able to charge people, you know, a few hundred dollars for a retainer, but instead are selling them a hamburger for $6. How do they make a business work? Because we're lucky in that we can charge people for our time. And also the overhead is relatively low, but again, we're just barely making it despite having high margins and low overhead. (laughs) So speaking of costs, if you you plan to open a law firm, you have to remember it's a business and that means you need to have a good understanding of your expenses, you know, in order to actually profit. So what do you say to someone who's starting up in terms of, you know, how much they need to put aside that first year and how do you really figure that out? Because we have a podcast about starting a law firm, we do get this question from people who listen to the show and they say, you know, this exact question, how much do I need to set aside? And it really varies from person to person. How much student loan debt do you have? Can you put that on income-based payments for a while? Do you have any children? Do you have a mortgage payment? In other words, how much you need to set aside depends not only on what your business costs are going to be, but also depend on exactly how much money you need to bring home each month. And so it gets very personal very quick when you're making these calculations. What I've done and what I think is a useful exercise for anybody thinking about doing this is sort of creating a spreadsheet that helps you figure out what your monthly budget is for both personal and professional expenses. And then after paying taxes, helping you figure out how much you need to make at your business in order for everything to trickle down 
so that you're making what you need to make in order to pay your kids private school education, pay your student loans, pay your monthly mortgage payment, and still be able to put gas in the car. So it's impossible to say, for example, Heidi, when I started my practice, again, I started it uh, after getting canned from my other job. And I was living at the time with a friend of mine after getting a divorce. So in some ways, I started my practice in the exact wrong way in that, you know, I started it in with two weeks notice and without much of a business plan. But at the same time, my monthly expenses were my friend saying to me, look, if you want to pay me 500 bucks a month rent, you can, but if you don't want to, that's okay too. So my monthly expenses were pretty much how much I spent at Trader Joe's and let's see, the $8 a month for the Squarespace site for my website and then, you know, my malpractice policy and and Westlaw subscription. So again, we got away with starting up a business not the way you're supposed to mostly because I had a good reputation in the community in an area of law that there was a demand for legal help and my monthly expenses were like $700. Well, that's a really nice living situation. I think I might need the the name of your friend. Right. It (laughs) it was a Um, a very generous guy. And I apologize because that really was a trick question. I get that question all the time too. And, you know, everyone asks, you know, how much does it cost to start? You know, can you give me a sample budget? But I completely agree. It's a different assessment for everyone. And it's a matter of looking at your own, you know, personal expenses and, you know, what you need to make in order to live. And then you need to figure out from there how you're going to do that. You know, how many clients you need to get into the door each month and what does that translate into dollar amount? So really, really good point there. Let's take a quick break here. Stay tuned, everyone, because after the break, we're going to have more advice on best practices when starting up a law firm. Not getting enough cases from the internet or the kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for its law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of other law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.co slash podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor. Amicus Attorney's world-leading practice management solution allows you to do more, bill more, and go home early. It serves as the hub to your practice, and Amicus customers report that they save over eight hours and bill an extra five hours each week. Built by lawyers for lawyers, Amicus has two award-winning solutions, Amicus Premium with a unique client portal and the exciting Amicus Cloud with seamless email integration. To learn more, visit amicusattorney.com. Welcome back to the second half of our show with Ben Carter, solo practitioner and co-host of Let's Start a Law Firm podcast. So now that it's incumbent upon attorneys to have competency in technology, according to the new ABA model rules, today's new law firm must incorporate technology. So keeping in mind a budget, what technologies do you invest in up front? Uh, for me, it was pretty simple. The first thing that I bought was a scanner. If you're not using the Fujitsu ScanSnap scanners 
already, you need to take a look at those and buy the most expensive one you can. And I think the most expensive one is the i500. It's four or 500 bucks. It's an automatic feed. It eats up 50 pages in, in one scan. Scans double-sided. It can do OCR. And it's sort of the thing that we use to keep our hipster loft practice, you know, paper-free and having that clean, modern look that everybody wants to have, right? So yeah, I joke, but the scanner really is essential. When I started my firm, it was very important for me to be able to enjoy working from wherever I was. And so whether I'm at home uh, with a sick kid or whether I'm at the office or whether I'm traveling with my family, I have access to everything on my computer because we've already scanned it in. And I just think that that's essential for me. There are so many crummy things about being in business for yourself, but the reason why people do it is to enjoy the flexibility that working for yourself allows. And so if you're tethered to paper files that you have to go to your office in order to do your job, you're missing out on a big benefit of being in business for yourself as a lawyer. And then do you do a cloud-based product to actually store your files online? We use Box okay. to share the files and so that Josh and I both have access to the same synced files. Yes. Okay. Okay. And how about in terms of a phone line? You have a landline. I assume you don't. I assume you have a VoIP line. What we do is the phone number on our website rings directly to my cell phone through a Google mm-hmm. Voice number. and. Okay. So I'm basically the intake for our firm. Josh will use his iPhone to make calls to existing clients, but we don't even have VoIP yet. We're looking at hiring a paralegal. We may invest in some sort of more uh, conventional phone system, but but right now we're just cell phone based. Okay. Yeah, that's typically what I see too. You know, most practitioners starting up using the the Google Voice and even the free Google Voice option. And I know you've done some podcasting on another topic, which is you know physical office items. And I know I know you you like that. You've got a whole file system, and you've done some uh, typography. You've got some interesting letterhead. So you know, what about physical office items? Do you have any suggestions for those? Uh, sure. Again, the Fujitsu ScanSnap is great. We use a black and white printer. And when I was designing the logo for my firm, let me be very clear, you should have a professional graphic designer design your logo. So when I was working with the professional graphic designer, I said, can we get a logo that would look good in grayscale so that we don't ever have to have special paper printed up or anything like that. So so we just use a black and white printer here at the office, and that's never been a problem. The other thing that I would recommend if, to folks, two other physical objects to consider is I made two splurges when I started my firm. One was the complete library of the National Consumer Law Center's consumer law books. And so that's like a 16 or 17 volume set. And the other thing was I invested in a stand-up desk. And now Josh has a stand-up desk as well. And for me, it was mostly about avoiding taking a nap at the one o'clock hour after you've eaten too many burritos for lunch or something like that. But again, it's just one of those nice things to have. You're in your office for eight to 10 hours a day, most days. And I think it's worth making those investments up front on the kinds of things that will make work life nice. So I don't know whether that's a recliner for you or an ergonomic keyboard or whatever it is, you know, give yourself permission within reason to splurge on some of those items that you are going to use all day, every day. For example, 
we both use big computer monitors. I have one of those Apple external Thunderbolt monitors and, you know, it's great. Why wouldn't you get the highest resolution monitor in the biggest canvas that you can in order to do your work better? And so I would say splurge on those things that you're going to be looking at and standing at or sitting at all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And can I ask what brand stand-up desk you're using? I got the Geek Desk, but I bought Josh a different brand and it's just as good. Uh, mm-hmm. I would just go to wirecutter.com and go stand-up desk. I think his was 6 or $700 and it's got you know preset settings for up to four different positions. So you can have a standing and a sitting programmed for two different people. And again, the quality is very good. Whatever Wirecutter recommends is what we got for Josh and it, it's dynamite. We have a couple of those in our office. I think they're using the the very desk. And I actually built my own standing desk out of a few (laughs) office materials that were laying around. But the wire cutter website is a good one for that sort of thing. So, Do people just call you MacGyver now around the office? Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Thank you. So... Clearly, it's a lot of work to start up your own law firm. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if you have any tips for our audience in terms of what you've learned from your own experience or from your podcast to make things easier in that first year. I guess the first thing I would say is try to make your first year of solo practice not your first year of practicing law. If you have the opportunity to go work somewhere else as a young attorney, do it. No matter what paltry amount of money that that law firm is paying you or that governmental agency is paying you, the experience that you're going to get is going to be more valuable than the money that they could pay you. Again, I never would have known that there was a, first of all, I never would have known how to defend someone from foreclosure. I would have never known that consumer law even existed if I didn't take a job at legal aid. So that experience is what opened up my eyes to the idea that I might want to start up my own law firm one day. And it gave me both the substantive understanding and also the marketplace understanding of what kind of marketplace there might be for these kinds of cases. For example, Josh and I both got our start at Legal Aid. And now we are essentially doing cases that most attorneys think are only cases for legal aid, that you can't make money doing, we're trying to do that for profit. And yeah, it's super hard. And, you know, sometimes we feel like an accidental nonprofit, but at the same time, we got that experience by starting out somewhere else and helping people at legal aid, helping people at the public defender's office, or if you have an opportunity to go work at a law firm, have somebody else pay for the subject matter experts. You know, expert witnesses are super expensive. And if you can have the firm that's writing your paycheck also be the one that's hiring the expert to defend your client, do that. Learn how to communicate with experts and identify experts and uh, learn how cases are defended and prosecuted somewhere else first. So that would be my first tip for the first year is don't let that be your first year in practice. The second tip, and this is just something that was passed on to me by one of Kentucky's best consumer lawyers, Ellen Friedman. She said, you know, in that first six months, because you're not going to have a full plate, you're going to be tempted to accept everything that comes in the door. Don't do it. And so to boil that down, let me just say, say no to so much. 
like Nancy Reagan said, just say no. It is more important that you say no to cases that are going to go nowhere than you say yes to good cases. I just, I can't emphasize enough. And again, you will only know what cases to say yes to if you have some experience in the legal field. As a first year out of law school person, you're not gonna be able to know whether a case has value or doesn't have value. And so that's why it would be good if you can to get a job somewhere else for a few years first. Even if it's gonna chafe you, even if you know you wanna start your own law firm, even if you are you know, a serial entrepreneur or whatever, you gotta let somebody else give you that experience on the front end. So say no to so much. We, at my firm right now, I feel like we're operating at 100% capacity and I hate having that feeling. Like ideally we would be at 90% at all times so that when another attorney calls you up and says, hey, I've got a client that I wanna send over to you and it turns out that client has the best foreclosure abuse case you've ever seen, you have the resources and time and energy to say yes to that and prosecute it the way it needs to be prosecuted. So, and again, just say no. Just say no to almost everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, saying no obviously is going to help you actually make some money, but it's also going to help you stay out of trouble, which is something you certainly don't want. And I and and I see that in in, in my practice because I actually work with a number of attorneys who have been disciplined. So, and finally, do you have any good resources that you can point our listeners to for starting their own practices? Obviously, we can name your podcast as one of them. Let's start a law firm. You know, anything particular, uh, you know, that helped you out when you started? A couple things. One is, and neither of them are specific to the legal profession, but one is the book Getting Things Done by David Allen. I read that book in 2008, and it sort of gives you a system to live by. That sounds cheesy, but basically what David Allen does is gives you a way of thinking about the projects and commitments that you've made to other people or to yourself. And rigorously applying sort of next actions to each of the projects and then categorizing those next actions by the context in which that can happen. So for example, if I receive an email from a potential client, that goes on a list of work phone calls that I need to make under my phone call list. And I have a separate list for actions that I can only do when I'm in front of a computer, actions that I can only do when I'm talking to Josh, actions that I can only do when I'm actually at the courthouse. And so getting things done is just a really great system. And the earlier you can implement it in your life, the better, because it helps you personally, it helps you professionally. And what it does for me, Heidi, is because you are tying what you've said yes to, to next actions in your daily life, it helps me say no to things because I've got a working list every single day of all of the phone calls I need to make, all of the briefs I need to write, all of the motions I need to respond to, all of the you know advertising things, the lunches that I need to have, all of those things um, that I've committed to doing. I've got a physical list that I create in OmniFocus, which is a great Mac application that I would recommend people check out. I've got a physical list of all of the things that I've said yes to and When you're face down with a four-page list like that in tiny print, it's pretty easy to say no to a potential client because you're like, I don't even have time to do the things that I know I need to get done today. 
So uh, getting things done. And then the other side of the getting things done coin is a podcast that I listened to from episode one, and I would recommend starting at episode one called Back to Work. It's a podcast with uh, Merlin Mann and Dan Benjamin that basically, you know, Merlin is known as a quote unquote productivity guru. That's a term that chafes him. And he's a lot more than that, I would say. But essentially, got his start in sort of blogging about tips and tricks to be more productive. And he's evolved into something much more than that over the years. But that podcast is really about sort of taking an inventory of your psyche in terms of what's hanging you up and getting your work done. So it's much more sort of a psychological investigation into sort of workflow it invites you to sort of investigate the frictions in your own psyche that would keep you from either enjoying work or doing good work or being able to work well with other people. So, you know, things like the imposter syndrome, things like addiction or things like that, they explore those topics in a way that allows you to sort of move on from that and enjoy your work. And you forgot to mention that the podcast is actually very funny as well. Merlin Mann is a character. <laughs> so. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's not, you know, even if, yes, thank you. Even if you don't uh, enjoy the subject matter, you probably will enjoy the personality. Certainly that's oh, the yeah. way it's been for me is even if they're talking about something that I don't really care about, uh, mm-hmm. like comics, for example, just the give and take between Merlin and Dan is great. Yeah, it yeah, it's true. So those are two very good resources. I'm always pushing getting things done on attorneys. I agree. I think every attorney should implement that system. Um, I actually use that system myself. Um, and I'm going to mention one other resource because um, it hits home uh, for our attorneys in Massachusetts. And we actually have a uh, startup kit on our website at masslomap.org. And we filtered it by a table of contents, top five questions that folks ask us in terms of starting up and we've got a ton of resources on there so take a look at that but I am sad to report that we've reached the end of another episode of the legal toolkit so I want to thank my guest Ben Carter for taking the time to drop by our virtual studio Ben if any of our listeners would like to learn more about you and your podcast how would they go about doing so See, you can go to my website, which is just bencarterlaw.com. Follow me on Twitter, where I retweet Merlin Mann and Dan Benjamin probably too often. It's uh, just not Ben Carter is the handle. And then uh, you can find a a link to our podcast at my website, but also find it in, in iTunes by searching for Let's Start a Law Firm. Great. Well, thank you, Ben. And thank you to our listeners for joining me for another episode of the Legal Toolkit. And remember, you can check out all of our shows anytime you'd like at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.
If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.